Hello and welcome to episode nine of Dualistic Unity. I am playing the part of Andrew today. And I'm Ray. <laughs> That's it. Not adding anything to that this time because I think we're going to do that through the rest of this episode because we do in each and every episode. And I did want to say quickly while we're on, on the topic how excited I am by the response that we've been getting to our last several podcast episodes and some of the clips that we've been putting online. Um, we've been getting some great questions. I've written down a few. We're going to try and cover them today. But just the feedback's been fantastic. And, and of course, not all of it has been positive. And I just want to express even, even the people who have commented on our, our social media posts with uh, say a defensive reaction or, or a misunderstanding. I just want to say thank you again for participating because you're still jumping into the conversation. You're giving us an opportunity to look at our own point of view afresh and maybe to answer some questions that other people wanted to, to look into deeper as well. So whether you agree with us or not, we just appreciate you being here. Yeah, certainly. As great as it is to have, you know, people, more and more people subscribing every week and saying how much they're enjoying the conversations, it's it's equally as great to get conflicting viewpoints because it gives us something to talk about. And I, you know, when I have a certain thing I'm working through or an understanding or an insight, when people question it, it just bolsters my ability to express it in different ways. And there's always, you know, everyone has a different perspective of how they see things. So no one's is the same and everyone's coming from a different viewpoint and different experiences. So it's awesome to get both sides of it for sure. Absolutely. That said, please keep in mind that I always try and respond to the comments that I get, uh, including the ones that tend to be um, more aggressive and, and uh, defensive. So if I respond and you don't like my response, just keep in mind that you opened the door. You were the one who wanted to talk to me about it, and I am more than happy to participate in it. Um, but if you're bringing the attitude of needing to be right to the table, as opposed to just needing to want to discuss things or wanting to get a clearer picture of maybe what we're talking about, because I'm happy to find a middle ground, but I won't play in the drama of self-validation just because I, I don't have to. I mean, your doubt is your own. And if you need to, to deal and cope with that doubt by focusing on people outside of yourself, then you can do that elsewhere. I am happy to have a conversation if you're actually interested in looking beyond what's making you defensive because I mean that's that's what we can actually relate on that's where I can empathize I know what it's like to hold on to something for the sake of security and stability and so that's something I'm always willing to talk about but it has to be in that genuine attitude of, of wanting to work together because we are growing together if we're both willing to yeah certainly like if, if you're not willing to have a conversation with the potential that you may not be right and you're viewpoint going into it may not be 100% correct, or even if it does end up being correct, you you would never understood or, or been able to see it from the perspective of the person that you're having the conversation with and, and realize that there is a path that that person took that got them to that belief system, no, no matter how much you disagree with it and how extreme they may seem, odds are if you had gone through the same shit they did, you may believe something very, very similarly. But um, we were actually talking for about 10 minutes before I did the introduction and I made sure to cut it off because we would have just kept talking and we oftentimes have a lot of content that are outside of our uh, podcast conversations, which we do post on our Patreon. So if you're interested in seeing more of that, uh, there's a lot of awesome content on there. But what we were discussing was the need 
for rules to versus having the clarity in life to see things and, and not need those rules as a crutch. So things like religion, like people often bring up this idea that, you know, we wouldn't know how to act without religions, or we wouldn't have morals without the 10 commandments. We wouldn't know, you know, not to do those things if it wasn't the 10 commandments. And it's an interesting idea that you, because you're saying that if you didn't have those, then you would, you know, be a cold hearted killer. And it's like, that's, that's more alarming than thinking that we don't need rules to act out of clarity and out of a sense of, of unity. Yeah. But don't worry. Cause of course, if you go back to your, your, you know, beastly nature of being a psychotic killer, you can just go and ask for forgiveness and you'll be given, you know, a couple of, of prayers for penance. And then you're, you're right back to following the 10 commandments. You're good to go until the next time you revert to your sinner nature, um, which it all kind of goes together with our perspective of ourselves, right? If we look at ourselves in a way where we are beastly or we're sinners or we're naturally, you know, cut off from everybody else, then it makes sense that you would want to impose rules on that kind of person because you can't trust that kind of mind, right? That kind of mind is completely self-serving. So it just kind of shows where the, these commandments, where these rules came from. They came from the mentality that we can't trust one another. We can't even trust ourselves, right? And so, yeah, it makes sense. Follow these rules very strictly. Otherwise, there's a punishment. Otherwise, there's a, there's a consequence. But I've often said that anybody who has the genuine recognition of connection, empathy, on any level whatsoever, in that moment where you feel empathy, there's no morality in that. Empathy has its own action, right? You feel that connection. You see yourself in the other person on one level or another, and you act accordingly based on how you would act with yourself. And it's a genuine thing. It's not, it's not conceptual. It's not based on a structure. It actually just happens in the moment. And you know that from every time you've actually genuinely felt empathy. Any concept you had about what you, what you were going to do with the person you were talking to up until that point just disappears. How many times have you had a conversation where you're like, I'm going to lay down, I'm going to read this person the riot act and really tell them what's happening. And then you sit down and you see their insecurity. And you see why they were defensive. And all of a sudden, everything you were going to say just fades away. And you find yourself in this position where you kind of exhale. And you see yourself and you're like, okay, we don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. How can we work around this? And all of a sudden, the conscious energy, everything in, in the conversation changes. And it's because it stops being an action. And it starts being unity. It starts being what happens when we genuinely see that we're connected. I always find empathy to be far stronger and far more powerful than morality will ever be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Once you're able to see yourself and everyone, there is no even thought of wanting to like, people always go back to the idea of killing and, you know, murder. And that's like objectively bad when the conversations of good and bad. And, you know, if we didn't have these rules, we would, all be killers. And it's like, it's almost like people think that the lack of belief or the lack of these religious laws or any sort of laws is keeping us from, or would keep us from killing them or the lack would cause us to kill. And then, but it's almost like people in reality, people who kill it's because of a belief. It's like the reason that they're doing it is because 
of a belief that they have, whether it's a belief in a certain system or a belief about the other person that they are taking as truth. And it's, it's only their perception. And it's once you peel back those beliefs and you peel back enough that you're able to see yourself in them, there's not even, it doesn't even, wouldn't even cross your mind to want to do some sort of harm like that. Yeah. Well, especially over thousands of years, right? Like when you look at it, you're like, oh, you know, thou shall not kill unless they don't agree with you about God and which person to put up on a piece of wood, right? Like that, that, that's kind of it. In which case then you go nuts because, you know, God is on your side and there's all this justification that goes with it. But it, it really just comes down to, to the same thing as always is I identify with this. Therefore, it justifies my action. I identify with this because it justifies my action and my worldview. And although I was taught that worldview and taught these actions by the people who came before me, they did the same thing. And so we end up in this generational toxicity. And um, all we can do is come back to the point where we're recognizing what we're doing. And, and this is something that I often find interesting because, I, like I said before, I, I enjoy popping into live streams of, of Christians and, and uh you know, Muslims and, 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 and uh, Judaic uh, preachers and things like that, and, or, or rabbis, and, and just listening to what they're talking about, because often there's an insight, there's that, that nugget of truth in the scripture, in the story that they're passing on. But then again, there's all of this need to believe and all this, this need to identify and all of this need to follow, rather than to, to be the center of your own universe, to find, you know, the God within yourself, as it were. So, they argue belief. You'll talk to them and, and they'll go, oh, you're taking that quote out of context. You know, it's really this translation. It's this. It's like, okay, all of that's irrelevant. Right? Like, all we're arguing is about, you know, which pieces of our belief might be more accurate than another. And then somebody else will come along. Well, I believe this and this, and here's the scripture that backs that up. And, and so you can argue in that mix back and forth forever, or you can cut out the middleman and say, well, belief is fiction. That's the nature of belief. It doesn't matter what the belief is in when we look at belief as it as as an action it's a fiction if it wasn't a fiction it would be a fact it wouldn't be a belief right so why are we believing in fictions and so all of the entire argument about scripture and belief and everything else just goes out the window when you just look at the nature of belief in itself why are we believing in a fiction and that answer is very simple because we're afraid and because we're uncertain and it makes us feel better and if you can get to that conversation then we can actually get to what religion is supposed to be. Because I said this to somebody earlier who was challenging me on this because they saw some of our videos on, on God, which we normally talk about Christianity because obviously that's the one religion that we're the most familiar with. But they were talking to me about Islam and, and Allah, and they were trying to point out that you know Islam is very, very different than Christianity or Judaism. And my point was, you're still following rules. You're still perceiving God or Allah as something separate from yourself. You're still investing in this perception of us as a particular role as, as human or whatever that might mean to you based on, on your perspective and your culture. So there is still this disconnect, this confusion that, that results. And as a result, you need false rules. And this person got very, very angry with me saying, you know, false rules. What do you mean by false rules? Which is what led us to this conversation that if you have a genuine recognition of unity, you don't want to hurt other people because you recognize that they are you and that everything goes full circle. So if you have to follow rules, it's because your belief has not led you to that recognition. And if it hasn't, there's a serious possibility that it never will. And you have to be willing to at least look at that if 
the genuine recognition of unity or, or the, the experience of connection is important to you? Or is it just about validating your self-image? Is it just about agreeing with your community and seeing and having people perceive you in a certain way? In which case, at least let's be honest about that and say this has nothing to do with actual connection. This has nothing to do with God or Allah. This has everything to do with your comfort. Yeah, I feel like as much as most religions are rooted in that sort of sense of unity or that's where they began, people, I feel like they'll, it's very rare to go 100% of the understanding through any sort of belief or through any sort of religion. I feel like it almost has to come from questioning that thing you believe in so much and so much to be true so like you were saying it's not about arguing like which belief is best or who has the right belief or the wrong belief it's it's belief itself and and it's only i feel like it's it's got to be so hard if you never ever question any beliefs even if you like bounce around from different beliefs like say you go from like islam to christian to Judaism, which I doubt, I'm sure that's extremely rare, but even if you did, it'll, it'll be, you'll never really get, you could get maybe 90% of the way there and, and be a, you know, good person, certainly, and well-meaning and all of that with those rules, but you never fully get there because that belief at the very, the last step is with God and that separation and holding on to that sense of duality and that sort of foisting of responsibility onto something outside of yourself and not seeing that you are God and everyone around you is God and you are everyone and everyone is you. Like there is never that disconnection. And I feel like, you know, someone could get 99% of the way there, but that's sort of the last, at least from what I've seen and the discussions I've had, that's like the last sort of thing that very few people want to let go of. Yeah. Because as, as we've said previously, the only true religion is none. Yeah, yeah damn. That's um, it. Because I mean, as long as we're identifying, as long as we're believing, we're separating, we're, we're, we're dividing, we're, we're doing everything except coming together, right? And so it, it comes down to recognizing the nature of thought, recognizing the nature of perception and all of that, and just not taking it so seriously. And, and I genuinely see things that way. When I see people's relationships falling apart, when I see people's lives falling apart, it's always because of this overcommitment to who they think they are. It's always because of this, this division that they're, percep and they're, they're perpetuating perceptionally without intending to, or without realizing they're doing so, they're doing so as a way of feeling better about themselves. And at the same time, making it harder for them to understand other people, because as soon as you think you are one thing, you're not everything else. And so it's very difficult for you to have an insight about those other things, so long as you have that perceptual division, right? So it, that's really, if we're gonna do anything, it's coming to terms with the fact that thoughts aren't truth. Like they're, they're just never truth. Thoughts are a terrible measure of what's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I was curious. I, uh, I had one of my friends from college on my podcast recently, actually, and he, he wanted to come on. He doesn't like create much content or anything, but 
he uh he dealt with ocd like pretty diagnosed like pretty extreme ocd growing up um and some feelings of anxiety just like throughout his life and we were talking and he's uh atheist like he's he's never been very religious but we started getting into religion a little bit and he said that we we're talking about you know fear of death and why you know so many people turn to religions and they it, it eases their fear of death because someone's like oh well you know as long as you do these things you know you'll end up in heaven in this paradise that's so much better than anything here and we kind of got into how it's like they want you to follow their rules and as long as you do you get to this place but if you don't then you go to hell and so he his perspective was that he doesn't think it's a huge deal if someone if if they're super anxious about death and they're able to live their entire life with less anxiety about death because they are religious and feel like you know they're going to go to heaven afterwards like who is he to say that that shouldn't be how they live and i i sort of had a different perspective in that i think holding on to that idea and and having an answer to that that religion gives you that doesn't actually exist it's still just made up having an answer there when you go to another situation in your life where you don't have an answer and there is uncertainty and you lack control completely which is inevitable like having thinking that there's an answer there and then not having it on other sides of your life rather than realizing that there's everything is uncertain, like you never have any control will actually allow you to build up a, that faith in yourself and trust in yourself. So that was my sort of perspective is why I don't think that's super like long-term super beneficial for people to believe in that, even if it, you know, eases their anxiety of death. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious doesn't. what, but it doesn't. That's the whole point. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, that you're true. always in danger of losing your golden ticket, right? Like you're always in danger of slipping on the rules of, of being a sinner. You're always in danger of suddenly, you know, not, not being good enough to get into heaven, which is why you always have people with the deathbed repentance, right? That last minute bit of doubt. It's like, oh, please forgive me. I want to go to heaven. And it's like, right. So this is really the question is, it's not that there's anything wrong with it. You are more than welcome to live your life for what might happen after you die. But it, it's kind of like, you know, going through an entire month of waiting for a certain meal that's going to be awesome. And then as a result of always fixating on that meal, not enjoying any of the meals that come up to it, because you're always looking towards the end, right? And so you never actually learn to appreciate the bite you're on or the meal you're in or the, the, the nutrient, the nutrition you're getting, you, you don't appreciate anything. And so, you know, you wait until that last meal. And what's so funny is that there isn't one you die. There's no meal, right? And then you're just back to living. And so it, it's, it's such a shame, I guess, is the point. They have every right to do it, but it's a shame, especially when we're talking about, you know, God or the concept of, of, this universal intelligence wanting what's best for us. And then we squander all of our ability to appreciate and make the most of what we're experiencing, waiting for some day where the universe is going to come down and go, okay, everything's easy now. Because at any point in our life, when things are easy, we truly appreciate it for long, right? Like it's such a short-sighted view of life and satisfaction and happiness as a whole that there, there's just so much toxicity there. 
And so, yeah, you're welcome to believe in the afterlife, but why believe in an afterlife and ruin the life you have? Because that's how it's going to go. Because as long as you're looking towards the future, you're not making the most of what you have now, which is exactly the point, right? Live for today because it's the garden, but you have to cultivate that garden. You actually have to be a participant in that garden to make the most of it. You can't just wait for it to come, you know, to come into full bloom and everything to be okay because you're a part of the garden. Nobody's going to do it for you. But then again, that's the belief in God, right? I just got to pray and, and that person, you know, God will come down and fix everything for me. It's like, well, you're God, so you better get to work. That's why I love the expression that God helps those who help themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. That, uh, that analogy with the eating meals and looking forward to that meal. Have you ever posted a TikTok about that or anything? No. That's a, that's a, that's a good analogy. I think, I think that, yeah, that I feel like encapsulates that idea very well but on the flip side like playing devil's advocate what if someone's like yeah i have this meal that's great at the end of the month and i have all these meals in between and i'm still enjoying these meals and then i'm also what if i can enjoy both and like also enjoy the meal at the end do you think it there's still like a slight subconscious lack in the in the meals leading up to the final like grand meal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because even the idea that, that there is an afterlife is very much based on our overcommitment to the idea of me, my character, my beliefs, my, and my, you know, uh, opinions and my persona, I guess, continuing on. It's me not wanting to let go of me. So there's immediately a lack there. There's immediately a disconnect again. Right. So it's a lovely hypothetical, what if somebody could believe in the afterlife and could make the most of their life, right? But in my experience, from everybody I've ever talked to, that's not how it happens because there is that perceptual division, because it, the division is rooted in how they perceive themselves and how they perceive life. And so there is automatically a sense of lack. And, and that's, again, why they will defend that belief, why they will get very much bent out of shape when you threaten that belief. And it's because... They need that belief. It, it's very much a, a requirement for their own sense of security and stability. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that idea of not wanting to let go of me, that makes a lot of sense because the whole idea of the afterlife is that, you know, if I were a believer and I believed in the afterlife, it's like that idea is that Andrew is going to live on. So there's, you're so far from coming to the realization that you're not this character. But I think, and I think from what I've seen too, and and noticing more of the people sort of in between where it's like, you know, the full realization that you are the awareness of what is the universal awareness, you know, experiencing itself versus, you know, being this human is, I feel like there's so many things in between that I've noticed too videos about, you know, thinking that, you know, you are a spirit experiencing a human or, you know, this, this soul consciousness and, and, you know, like you are source, but like a separate piece of source that has its own, contract that you're going to experience. Like I've noticed so many things sort of in between that full on, like I'm Andrew versus there's a lot of people out there. I I guess that's probably a lot of the spiritual community thinking that, you know, they're not 
this human character, but they are still a separate sort of character, individual ego character. And I've been noticing that a ton with manifestation type posts and just people. And I'm like, oh man, wow. I am able to see this a lot more clearly with, with the manifestation stuff. Cause there's so much of it out there that I fully believed in not that long ago. And now have just gotten clearer on that understanding too. And, and if you're manifesting your, and have this idea of like getting things for you, you're very much holding on to it's ego driven. Like no matter how you think that you're, you know, how many ego deaths you've had, if you're manifesting certain things for this grouping of cells that you're, you know, aware of, then you're not, you're still very much identified. Yeah, absolutely. It's inter interesting. I, I just wanted to tie, tie something in here quickly because it was, it was dawning on me the other day. Um, often when we say that we're the, the awareness of the universe, the automatic response is, well, then why can't I be aware of what other people are thinking? And, and it's like, are you aware of what your spleen is doing? Right? It's like, there's a lot of moving parts here. Do you really want to be aware of all of them at the same time? Right? Because that, that sounds really intense. Um, but it's just kind of a funny thought. It's like, you know, oh, I should be aware of everything all at once. It's like, dear God, like, I'm not even aware of what's happening in this vessel. Like, I don't want to be aware of all the other vessels. Like, there's so many, because we're all in charge of our own peace, right? This is what we were talking about, I think, in the last podcast or two podcasts ago, about how our responsibility is in the part we are, right? Or in the part that we're aware of being, right? It's not in everything else, right? So, yeah, I just think that's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. And I've used, I've had people, cause that, when I first started realizing that that was a, a lot of the questions I got was about that. And at first I was like, I, I don't know, that's kind of a good question. Like, I don't necessarily always have great answers to everything, but I also like, I use uh, the tree analogy, like, you know, all the leaves on the tree are still the tree, but just because the wind's blowing on one side of the tree and not the other, doesn't mean that you know, the leaves moving on one side that aren't aware of the wind on the other side aren't still the tree or just because, you know, the sun's coming from one angle and the other side of the tree is shady and one side is sunny and this, these leaves feel the sun and the other side can't, then yeah, it's, it's not, or the, uh, the headphone, uh, I made a video with like your, you have one headphone in one year. And just cause say you it was like someone's voice and you started to identify with that voice. It doesn't mean it's your voice, but it's, it's, if you identify with it, you start to, you know, believe it similarly to how, you know, your subconscious, your, your thoughts, you begin to identify with them. So if you put one headphone in one ear, like an AirPod in one ear, and someone starts saying stuff and you start identifying with that voice and this ear can hear it, but this ear can't, does this mean that this ear isn't you? No, it just can't hear it. Same thing with not being able to hear other people's thoughts. It doesn't mean those thoughts are theirs or the thoughts in your head are yours. It's just something you can hear that you have identified with, but it has nothing to do with who you are or the fact that you're not this universal awareness. Yeah, exactly. And that's you know what we're, we're going to be covering that a little bit more in detail on uh, this week's manifestation workshop, right? The, the rudder, as it were you know, tuning into, to being the rudder, being able to get out of, out of your way. And, and to, it, it's even, 
and you were saying this about uh, spirituality, how we kind of, we go in gradations from, you know, I'm this character to, you know, I'm source and we're somewhere in between that. Um, and, and even beyond that, because eventually you're not even source, right? You stop being anything. It's the whole point, right? But in those gradations, we go through a lot of different, you know, um, perspectives of ourselves, And uh, the one we tend to get caught on because it's very much the crux of spirituality is that I am a spiritual being having a human experience. And it's like, well, that, that's a good perspective because again, you're, you're looking at yourself at least as being more than the body. But what does that really mean when we think about it, right? Because we, we're saying we're having a human experience, which means that we're not human and we're accepting that and being you know, a spiritual being. But when we're thinking about that, that means that our perspective of our body as being a physical thing, our perspective of, of our body being disconnected from the floor and the air and everybody else in our environment is completely just perspective, right? That's all us just coming back to identity because that's all identity is, is this idea that we're separate from everything else, right? And, and so the, le the more we let that go, the more we start to feel ourselves as a part of everything. And it's not it's not a conscious visualization. This is where te people tend to get, you know, kind of off the rails as they start to visualize themselves as being part of the world. And you don't have to do that. You are the world. There's no disconnect. This isn't something you have to visualize. It's something that you just have to allow yourself to become aware of. And that's always a result of not thinking, of always listening, of getting out of the way, of allowing yourself to be sensitive. And, and so it's just about letting go but letting go isn't letting go in the way that people tend to talk about it because as soon as it becomes a concept of letting go that's not letting go now you're holding on to the idea of letting go so you actually have to let go of letting go yeah there's there's just so many times it comes back to it's not about you know adding anything it's about peeling things back or, or visualizing being you know, the world, that's just another idea that you have, like your idea of being this awareness isn't being this awareness or this idea of who you are or being yourself isn't being yourself. You're, you're being yourself is when you're not trying to be anything at all. And it's not when you're not trying to be anything at all to tr try and be yourself. It's like, it's, it's the lack of any, and all of that is when you're able to see it. So it's, it's not about trying to do anything or actively doing anything. It's about the lack of all of those things. Absolutely. So this leads me to a question that somebody asked on my TikTok account, and I wanted to bring it to you because it's very much in line with what we're talking about. And, and it's, it's a good question. Um, do, you, do you think that you can lead somebody to a spiritual awakening? No. You want to elaborate? <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think I I think you can express things in different ways, but it's like your idea of the truth isn't the truth. Your expression of the truth isn't the truth. Your idea about or video about the truth isn't the truth. The words that you say aren't, you know, the word tree isn't a tree, the word boat isn't a boat. So there's nothing, it, it's almost like it can't be 
said, it can't be explained. It can't be, you know, there can't be examples. There can't be analogies that, you know, you can, it can point to it. You know, it's like pointers to the truth are not the truth. And, you know, we both make lots of videos, you know, sort of as pointers, but they aren't what it is. How can you express reality if reality isn't words? You can't say it in words. And someone asked me that on an Instagram Q&A once, like, is it difficult to express some of the things that you talk about, you know, in videos? And I was like, well, yeah, it's, it's when something isn't words, it's very difficult to express it in words and you're never doing it justice at all. It just is. So that is my elaboration to no, I don't think you can lead anyone to a spiritual awakening. That was awesome. That was perfect. Right. That's true. Uh, you can't, I mean, at most you can be part of somebody's awakening. You can be there as a participant of their awakening, you know, sometimes unwittingly, right? But, but it's very much, it's very much on them. They have to have the ears to hear, right? They have to be willing to do the work. And, and that, and that's very much it because it does take courage, right? Like, so I, I always find it very interesting because we tend to use words like awakening and it's very much like the word ego death or the expression ego death and that it, it implies this this finality like this this destination this end point where it's like yes my ego is dead <laughs> i'm good to go um but it's not it's not ever an end point it's always a continuous state of being it's always a continuous um questioning of yourself it's always a continuous getting out of your own way right and it, you have to keep that in mind because if you're shooting for an endpoint, you're shooting for a concept, you're shooting for an idea. This is very much like that video you sent me the other day um, about uh, the guy who's talking about mind science. And, and while I love his content, it's really, really good. I immediately get turned off by the promise of superpowers. I immediately get turned off by the, the, the promise of this otherworldly, you know, kind of consciousness and awareness, because while that's true to some degree, I mean, we are, in fact, working our way towards a greater state of clarity and a greater sense of sensitivity and everything else. I wouldn't declare them to be superpowers because that puts them in a pedestal. That gives us a concept, an idea of what they mean. And I wouldn't declare it to be an ascension process because, again, that gives us an idea of what that means. You know, it's, it's kind of like the Baha'i, right? Like, I'm becoming. It's like, what are you becoming? What are you not already? Right? And, and so when we're talking about this journey, it's so important to remember that it's not a journey. It's a journey to now. It's a journey to where you are, to what you are already. And all the journey really is, is allowing yourself to fully recognize and appreciate and embody the vastness of what that is. But yeah, we can never communicate it in words. And every time we try, we just give people with the wrong mindset something to hold on to and make more problems. Yeah. And everyone's always trying to hold on to, or like achieve this idea of enlightenment. And I was on a, uh, I was on a TikTok live a few days ago and someone was like, there is like, they said something that just, yeah, I don't know. something about like how I, they're like, how does it feel to be enlightened? And I started laughing and I was like, there's enlightenment doesn't exist. It's an idea. And they were like going back, they were just kept commenting things like, yes, it does. Like, yeah, it's a thing like realizing that we're all, you know, one and, and unity and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right. So people who believe in this idea of enlightenment have not 
experience that because anyone who actually experiences that and, and realizes that there's no me to be enlightened. Who's enlightened? Like what, what person, or if someone is claiming to be enlightened, then they are very much identified as separate. They are living in a world of duality. And so like the idea of enlightenment, unless just the universe is enlightenment, if you want to say that, I guess, but for there to be individuals who are enlightened and individuals who aren't, if you realize these things, there is no individual to be enlightened. So that's kind of it. There's no enlightenment. It's just an idea that people hold on to. And it's just a made up concept, just like all the others. The danger is, or at least part of the danger is in this, this belief or this commitment we have that ideas give us value, right? Like if, if I have an idea of myself, that is the measure of my value as a person, which is why I have a negative idea of myself is a bad thing. A positive idea is a good thing, right? And it's like, well, yeah, but a positive idea is something that now you have to defend and you're scared to have threatened. So is it a really good thing, right? It's still an idea of yourself, right? And so we get really caught up in, in this idea of ideas reflecting our value. And so you see something like the concept of enlightenment, and that's a big shiny idea. That is a hell of an ego, right? Like, oh my God, you can see yourself almost in flowing robes for God's sake, right? Like you just, somebody's behind you with a bell and some incense. Like you, there's a big image that goes with this idea of being enlightened. And the reality is that when you get there, you're just like, oh, I was just playing a game. This whole time I've been playing a game in my head. And that's all it is. And so you're not really being enlightened so much as just going, oh, right, I really got caught up in that, right? And that's, that's it. But that, that is not satisfying egotistically. It's not satisfying egotistically to come to a point where you're just like, oh, I'm not actually better or worse than anyone or anything. It's freeing, but it's not satisfying. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, I mean... I think there's, so what do you think when someone is close to that, you know, there are people, I don't know, like people who, I don't know, do you see, like, I come across sad guru, his stuff sometimes, or, you know, we talk about Eckhart Tolle or uh, there's, I feel like there's a lot of people who are considered by society as enlightened. Do you think there's people out there who people consider enlightened and they consider themselves enlightened i'm not saying those people that i mentioned but but they're they're just like holding on to this ego identity because it's satisfying even though they talk about not having ego identity absolutely they, I've that's met just plenty. more ego yeah. i've met plenty for sure speakers and gurus and teachers and and they they love the adulation right they love the attention they love the role of being a teacher and, and, so, and yeah, that happens a lot more, more often than I feel comfortable with. But um, if you get a chance, actually, this is a really good one to watch. It's called Kumari, K-U-M-A-R-E. And basically, you're going to love this. This guy decided he was going to play the part of an enlightened guru. And so he got the robes, 
He rented a yoga studio. He, pay, he paid these, these people to be his assistants and they all played along with him being this enlightened guru. And the entire documentary is basically how he suckered all of these people into believing what they wanted to believe. They perceived him the way they wanted to. And then at the end, when he does the reveal saying, actually, I don't have an accent. I'm not this person at all, right? It was so interesting how some people got very upset. Some people were actually super grateful and other people, they just refuse to believe it. They're like, nope, I saw his aura. I, I can, I can, it's all a trick. Like it was just, and it's, it's, it's exactly that. It's that um, our gurus, any guru who says he's a guru more than likely isn't right. Which is why I get super uncomfortable when I start seeing TikTok shamans, right? Because any shaman worth his salt isn't going to go up to you and say, I'm a shaman. Like they're, they're just not right like it's a it's a label for convenience it's a label for for perhaps the practice that they're involved with but it's not it's not a measure of value it's not an identification right and so when you start seeing people online saying you know like you know uh, I'm a spiritual guide or a spiritual teacher yeah you should definitely question that you should you should question it because they want to be in that position where they they can guide you and then because that's super self-validating i mean it took me a long time to get over that that's why i didn't life coach for a number of years was because it's too tempting to want to feel like you know right and the only thing that's changed over over the last 10 years of my life has been the acceptance that none of us do and that's the one thing we all have in common and so if i can work with people on that level then at least that's honest and it's sincere and it's genuine and there's a capacity to have an insight, right? But it really just comes down to abandoning that dichotomy between the knower and the one who doesn't know or the teacher and the student, right? Like in ourselves, we have to be both. And so we have to allow the people we talk to to likewise be both. So then, so how do you think then that people who come to that realization that, you know, we are the awareness of what is, and we are all connected, like who truly understand non-duality and that there is no separation. Like how do they then call themselves gurus at the same time? Like how do they do both? If they actually understand that, then by design, their fault, it's a faulty mechanism that they're working with. Like, how do you think it's just that difficult to let go? Of um, it's like you said, there are gradations, right? There, there are levels of letting go all the way up to, and, and admittedly, the farther you go, the harder it is because what you're letting go of is essentially yourself. And, and, and that, that takes some, some uh, commitment, I guess you could say. It, it takes an honest to God passion and enthusiasm for it. Um, but after a certain point, it doesn't always make sense. Some people decide to just stop there. And there's nothing wrong with one way or another. I mean, if, if you come to a certain point where you have access to certain insights and you want to share them and call yourself a guru, then the people who are in a position where they could use that insight, they're going to find you. And then when they move beyond you, they're going to leave you behind. And so it's really up to you where you want to stop. And often that's what happens with teachers is they decide, I've got lots of followers, pretty comfortable sending out some fairly positive messages. I don't really have any desire to go any farther beyond that. Whereas, you know, for me personally, um, I'm curious as hell as to exactly how far this goes. Like I, I just can't imagine stopping on any level where I'm like, oh yeah, that's me now. This is, this is who I am. Cause it, 
it just seems so odd. Like I don't want, when I get 10 years down the road, I'm not going to be thinking any of the crap that I'm thinking right now. And hopefully the same is true for tomorrow. Yeah. I feel like, I don't know. And from my perspective, like realizing that we are the here and now we are what is like that in itself. If you actually get that, like that's very powerful just, and like very jarring in a very positive way, like a very positive way, I guess is the best way I can say it. Like, I feel like I don't, I don't know, like there isn't that much more that you would think that you needed on top of that realization, but. Now that depends, right? Like it it comes down to the world that we live in and the world that we live in gives us all kinds of justification, you know, to focus on ourselves for sure. I, I mean, that that's it. And again, there's nothing wrong with it one way or another, but having the insight, as we've said before, is one thing. And then practicing the insight as everything around you falls apart and you get older and you go day to day and and you start seeing friendships fall away and you start seeing people that were once comfortable with you run from you because they're no longer comfortable with you all of that you know starts to take its toll and after a while you start to wonder like oh is is this path worth it you know somebody once said to me that um the path of righteousness is a lonely path and we don't want to be righteous by any means but this is in fact a solitary path. It's not that it's lonely because that again, that comes back to how you perceive yourself and your relationship with others and and, and your need, but it is a path that you have to walk alone. Like this is something that's on you at the end of the day. There's nobody else who's going to walk it for you. And and coming to that can be very difficult. You know, it can be difficult to accept that, especially when we want to be comforted, especially when we want you know, for somebody to, to lead the way or take some of the burden off of us when we don't believe in ourselves. You know, that's especially when we want it. When we don't believe in ourselves, we just want somebody to come and, and carry us. You know, it's like that footprints poem. You ever see that? Where there's two footprints walking through the sand and then, oh, and then, uh, and then one, one disappears. Right? You. I always find that really funny for a couple of reasons. One, I always see it the opposite way that, you know, it was when he stopped creating Jesus that I was walking alone, right? But the other thing is that that when I first encountered that poem, it was signed anonymous, which I thought was awesome because of course I'm always anonymous, right? Uh, <laughs> but, but the point being is that there's this need to want to be carried. There's this need to want to feel like, you know, we're good. somebody's going to pick me up if I fall down. And it's always us. We always pick ourselves up. And of course, reality helps us, but we're reality, right? And so it really comes back down to that I'm on my own. And somebody asked me this the other day, I think it was yesterday. Do we need human connection? Do we need that validation? Do we need that connection to other people? And I would say that up until a certain point in our life, we do. As children, growing up as organic beings, growing up as as animals in the world with dangers and everything else, there is a need for connection. There's even a love of connection. But after a certain point, when we're old enough to take care of ourselves and we're old enough to, to survive and thrive on our own, if we don't address that need, it becomes toxic. If we don't address that need, now we're no longer allowing ourselves to flourish in our strength. We're actually holding ourselves back just because there's an available crutch, right? And so after a certain point in our life, we have to move past the need for human connection to the appreciation of human connection without the need for it. Because at least then that connection 
becomes more pure, that connection has more potential to grow into something else and, and inspire more insights because it's genuine, right? But yeah, it, it's really in addressing that need. And, and that is true even for gurus, right? If a guru is still experiencing need, because recognizing you're the universe is one thing, like having a, because it's, it's, it's an insight that has infinite layers, right? The deeper you go, the more it gets shaken, right? And so after a certain point, it's just, it gets too much for people sometimes. And then, and, and understandably, understandably, I mean, this is a physical experience. Not everybody wants to move beyond that. Right. But, uh, especially in a world where we don't, we don't have anybody saying, you know, well, it's totally worth it because right now there's just not enough people in the world doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, with these, the idea of, of having a need for other people, or that sort of feeling and, and how maybe you may not need that later in life when it comes to like the idea of extroverts versus introverts and how people often define it as extroverts, like get energy from being around others, introverts lose energy from being around others, sort of like high level definitions. I would say I probably lean introvert, but certainly am kind of I don't know, in the middle somewhere, like depending on the situation and, and where I'm at. But do you think that like extroverts more often fall into that, what you were describing as, as needing that external like people around them in order to feel okay. And so maybe it could almost be more difficult as a natural extrovert to find that sort of understanding versus as an introvert, it may be, I don't know about easier, but just a shorter path to that, like less layers to go through, or do you think it's just very much dependent and it just completely depends on the situation and how many layers that person has because introverts and extroverts could have an equal amount of layers. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting because it's really just indicative of, of which end of the, of the lesson spectrum we're on, right? Because you can be an extrovert either because you hate being alone or because you, you really focus on other people's attention on you. Or you could be an extrovert because you enjoy other people being happy around you. But typically, if you're that kind of extrovert, you are equally introverted in that you also enjoy your own company, Right. So it, it really comes down to, are you avoiding being yourself or are you avoiding people, right? And, or are you avoiding being by yourself or are you avoiding people? And, and typically the one you're avoiding is the one that has lessons for you to learn, right? Like the thing about being an introvert is that you can learn about yourself, but it's not until you get in front of other people that you get to test that, that you actually get to, to work through what you've learned about yourself. It's like Krishna Murthy was saying about relationships being... Uh, where we get to see ourselves without distortion, right? That's it. So you work on yourself all day long. As soon as you go and talk to somebody and they rattle your cage or they don't respond in the way that you perceived them to respond or prepared for them to respond or any of those things and it rattles you, well, all of a sudden you may go running back to being an introvert where you're comfortable and try and figure out what to do next. But your best bet is actually just to be in that discomfort roll with it, learn from what, it, learn about it, what, about yourself, what you can from that situation. So that when you do go back to your own time by yourself, you have something to process, right? So we get caught in calling ourselves introverts or extroverts. We get caught in this idea of one way or another, right? And the, the fact is, is that 
you're going to be one and you're going to be another on different periods of your life based on your environment and the lessons that you're going through and what you're willing to challenge yourself on. Right. Yeah. They're both just ideas at the end of the day, but yeah, with the, the idea of, you know, being around other people and, you know, testing those boundaries, I find that to be very true, especially when I go back to be with my family, uh, especially with, some of my differing viewpoints now when it comes to, you know, psychedelics and religion, not that my family's never been, you know, extreme into any of that really. Like we'll probably go to mass on Christmas, but that's pretty much the only time go to mass. And I mean, I actually, I've been to mass like a couple times in the last year or two. And I actually don't, mind it because i'm able to see some of the actual teachings like the way that they were more so intended i feel like um i still think it's yeah just the whole idea of like having a priest and stuff is very interesting but um or the idea that you know i have relatives outside of my family just like other relatives who if they knew that i was you know atheist or whatever they want to label me as they would view me very differently it's like, ah, it's just so, so interesting. But with, with being around other people and testing those limits, I find that with my family quite a bit, because we're always like, there's definitely a lot of bickering that happens, but I have found that I've been just more like, I've been okay with getting into it for sure. And I don't necessarily judge myself for, you know, whereas I think when I, when I still thought there was like this idea of like, path to enlightenment, I would almost judge myself on top of getting worked up in a situation. Like if my sister was pushing my buttons, I'd be like, I shouldn't get worked up because I have these new understandings about things and blah, 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 blah. And now I'm like, yeah, I get worked up and like, yeah, we'll forgive each other afterwards and we'll move on. And like, that's all right. Like, yeah, I get heated sometimes. I can be very emotional about things and I can push back too. And that's okay too. Like there's nothing about it that is saying that I, you know, anyone can't act like that, but it's like, it, it's still a responsibility for you to live with that. And if that, you know, if you go too far and someone gets really mad, like if I I'm also very quick to forgive too, or ask forgiveness or whatever the situation is. So things never really boil up too much, but when you have a lot of history with people, it becomes very, very easy for things to escalate very quickly, which I always find my family, though I do love them very much and love being around them, which is why I am with my family quite a bit. But it is interesting to see that. Absolutely. Well, and this is why intention is so important, right? Like I I often, well, I'm just who I am. And so no matter which situation I go to in any social environment, things go sideways just because I don't generally talk about things the same way, same way that other people do. And I've upset more than a few people as a result, not intentionally, but just because they were holding on to something that I don't necessarily take seriously or something that I, I don't recognize as being uh, beneficial. And so I don't, I don't prop it up as such in my conversation, but my intention is never to hurt people's feelings. And so whenever I am in a conversation with somebody, it's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't actually mean to upset you like this, this is what I meant. Let's talk about it kind of thing, right? And as long as you're willing to do that, that's fine. But 
if you're reliant on being right, if you're still defending your ego, you are never that reasonable, right? Because, because you need to be right. And, and that's the whole point. You can get in these conversations and they're fun, right? You can even get a little frustrated. You can even get a little bothered by it, right? Just, but it's how bothered. It's for what reason? How invested are you in that? Are you going to go home and actually just, you know, think about that, take it in, learn a bit about yourself, maybe jettison some shit you didn't need, right? Are you going to go home, get resentful, and then find somebody else to lash out at because, you know, you need somebody to agree with you? And so it really just comes down to, again, how over-invested you are in your own idea of yourself. But if you're not, then all you are is facilitating growth all the time. It's like uh, we were talking to, to Mary on our uh, supporter-only live stream on Patreon. And she was mentioning, you know, working with the people in her life and trying to, you know, be an instrument of change there. It's like, yeah, just be yourself. You're already doing it, right? Don't, don't get caught up in trying to get them somewhere. Just, just be there. Just be who you are as you change and everything changes with you. But that doesn't imply control. It implies influence and participation, right? Yeah, certainly. I was having a conversation. I'm not going to name, I try to not name names because I know they wouldn't appreciate it necessarily, but uh, with someone close to me and we were talking about religion and it ended up being a pretty long discussion and it got a little bit heated and they, they were coming from a point of, they don't understand why I have to, you know, create these videos sort of seemingly mocking those with certain beliefs and the way that they are perceiving them is that I am, you know, above other people for realizing that God, you know, the idea of, you know, a sky daddy is silly and it's similar to a fairy tale. And they were expressing how they don't understand why I have to push on this so much all the time. And, you know, cause we have, there are a lot of people in our lives that are, you know, very religious and they follow me on stuff. And that always comes up as like the people who we know that follow me. And I'm like, Oh my God, just give me a list of people and I will block all of them. Like, I don't need, like, this is my account. It has my, like my name on it. I'm going to post whatever the fuck I want. And I don't give a shit what anyone like. That's a lot of what my videos are about is not caring. So like, I'm certainly not going to care about certain people following me. If they have certain beliefs and it makes them uncomfortable, maybe they should look into why they feel so uncomfortable. But that discussion, it got, it got heated and then it like sort of calmed back down. And this person I was talking to was like, you know, and they said how they, they don't know what they believe anymore. And it got to a point of they always had. And I was like, that's why I express these things. Because if I hadn't, you may have never gotten to a point where you're not sure what you like. This is why I express these things. It's not because I want to rattle people's cage. It's because when people have ears to hear, they'll start to hear. And a lot of what I was saying, I expressed why I feel strongly that I push against religion because I think it's pretty fucked up thing at the end of the day when you really think about it. And so when they said like, I don't know what I believe anymore, I was like, there you go. That's why I do this. And that was towards the end of the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, it's, it's totally worth it for that reason. Right. Uh, I think I, I told you, but one evening I was, uh, so I was living by myself and it was, I think about a year and a half after I woke up 
and uh, my ex-roommate was working downtown in the city that we lived in at, at a restaurant and so he, he would always come home go, go back home at like three in the morning and on his way home he'd run into a bunch of homeless people and uh, as he was walking by these homeless people he ran across a group of Christians who were trying to convert those homeless people much as I had done several times before so he decided to bring them to my house at three in the morning the homeless people or the religious no, people? the Christians, the three born again Christians that were trying to convert homeless people at three in the morning. He decided to bring them to my house. And of course, at the time I, I was I had just eaten like you know, several grams of, of, of mushrooms. And so I was just sitting in my house kind of just, you know, blissing out on just being me. Suddenly the doorbell, this harsh, harsh buzzing noise. And I'm like, what is that? Who's this? And it was sure enough, it was him and th these three people. And so they all come up to my house and. He's like, oh, you got to talk to Ray. You know, Ray, you're going to love Ray. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Like, you know how this is going to go. So within about a half hour, two of these, these, these born again Christians are screaming at me in my house. And the third one, who was the youngest, had this look on his face like this. He's just like, oh, wow. And he just took it in. And so by the end of the conversation, the two got up and they're like, you know, we're leaving. They looked at my friend. They're like, well, hopefully we'll see you at church. They looked at me. They're like, don't come. <laughs> right. And then they left. And the third one, the youngest one kind of followed behind them, but he hung back a little and he came up to me and he's kind of like whispered in my face. He's like, I don't understand everything you're saying, but a lot of it made sense. And I'm going to think about this. And it made the whole conversation worthwhile. Right. Despite the fact that the other two guys were livid, they were so very angry with me that day. And, and it was you know, very much as, as a result as a result of what we were talking about, which is the difference between faith and belief, the difference between actually connection to the universe versus the projection of a, of a God fiction for the sake of self-validation. And so, yeah, you're, you're going to frustrate some people and the, the people who get frustrated and run away, they'll have another opportunity. Others will take what you give them or take that opportunity and allow it to change them, even if it's just a little. And that makes it all worthwhile because then they can do something with it. But until they have that exposure to something, it's very difficult. I mean, when I was only exposed to Christianity, it's very difficult to find insights that aren't in Christianity. You know, I had to get exposed to, to Taoism and Buddhism, and I had to look into other, other beliefs in order to even find these other insights. And, and I think that's the point, that is that there's a grain of truth in all of these fictions, but we get caught up in, in defending the fiction instead of gleaning the truth. Yeah, yeah certainly. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's quite interesting just how, how much there is that is you know it, it all is kind of rooted in the same understanding and yet there's so much layered on top of it and that video you posted uh a week or two ago just about how you're like realizing you're in the dream and then you know there's people who are going to tell you about you know how the dream came to be being religion it's just it it becomes so much clearer through these understandings just how much it's like everything just is. It just is as it is. We are here now. We came from the earth. And almost anything you hear about, you know, how things happened or what's going to happen next are all just stories. They're all just fables that people get caught up in and identify with as truth. And it's 
I, I mean, I guess less so now with like people fighting wars about it. Like, I mean, sort of, yes, I guess not in, I don't know, not around me as much, but there are, you know, still that going on, but yeah, it's, it's, I just find it very, very interesting how much of it is rooted in the same sort of understandings and it all almost all of them seemingly stemmed from someone who got it and then all of these people came in with egos and and portrayed it in a way that was believing that this person who got it was very ego identified as well so anything they expressed they were thinking you know with jesus like i'm the way the truth and the life they thought he was talking about himself when he was talking about I, like I am that we all are like, I am Andrew. I'm not Andrew. I am I. And you say, I am Ray. You're not Ray. You are I like that. I is the universal thing that we are. And that's how Jesus expressed it. But everyone, no one under got that. So it, yeah, it does kind of is, I don't know, kind of a bummer that Jesus wasn't more, you know, explicit in some of his expressions, but at the same time, you know, the church just picked and chose their narrative for the Bible anyway. So it may have not mattered anyway. Nope. Never. I mean, that's why I like the gospel of Thomas, right? The gospel of Thomas is by far my favorite gospel because it's, it's just a conversation with, with whoever Jesus was. Right. And, and there's no virgin birth. There's no healing. There's none of that. It's just the conversation. And, and what I love is that it starts off with, whoever gets this will never taste death. It's like, nice. That's awesome. And then he goes on and, and he's like, you know, uh, seeking you shall find <laughs> when you find, you shall marvel and rule over all. And it's very much like, you know, it's, uh, when you find you shall be upset and then you will marvel and reign over all. And it's like, yeah, exactly. Right. Like you're, you're going to look, you're going to go, what? No, I don't like that. And then you'll accept it eventually. And then you'll start to realize you're connected to everything. So rain isn't really quite the, the right word, but the whole gospel's awesome. Right up until the end where he says, you know, and, and woman must, must become man. And it's funny because when I first read that, I'm like, that seems like a male thing to say right? <laughs> for sure. But when you think about it, it makes perfect sense, especially in context with what's happening in, in terms of the trans movement and, and, and in terms of identity um, or gender fluidity and everything else is that we have to question our identity. The woman has to become the man. The man has to become the woman. We have to let go of these ideas that divide us, right? Like the lion lays down with the lamb, that kind of thing, right? Like these are all divisive concepts that separate us. And so that's all he was ever trying to say, right? That's why I always find it very interesting. It's like, you know, um, I'll talk about Jesus saying, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. And Christians will always say something, oh, you're taking that scripture out of context. It's like the entire Bible is taken out of context. It's literally stories written, removed from, rest, from the rest of human history. So you're taking, you're taking that out of context, but you're cherry picking one line and then choosing everybody else's interpretation of it from the New Testament. But I'm taking it out of context? Like we're still talking about the same words. Like there's no difference between reading what Jesus said in say the gospel of Luke and giving your opinion or reading Luke's opinion. There's still opinions of what was said, right? They're not, it's not the gospel of Jesus. It's not Jesus writing it. It's somebody's interpretation of what they witnessed Jesus do, right? So 
it's not scripture. It's not the, the, the God's word. It's not, you know, the, the word of the Lord. It's just an interpretation and anybody can interpret. So let's just focus on the actual things that Jesus said. And if we take those very small amounts of actual quotes that we have from Jesus, the New Testament doesn't make any sense at all. It's like it was interpreted by people who never met the man and had no idea what he was talking about. Kind of like the, the latest rendition of Dune. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy how it's not even, even if Jesus did write it, it would be his perception of his writing or like his thoughts aren't the truth. They may more clearly point to the truth, but we're getting his ideas that were written by someone else. So it's a perception of a perception of the truth. So it's so much further removed. And when you said uh, the quote, well, it was something like at first, when you see it, you will be frustrated and then you will marvel and then you will reign overall. Is that what it was? Yeah. See, can you yeah. shall find and when you find you shall be frustrated and then you will, you know, uh, marvel and reign overall. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if I, I almost, when you said that, I thought of it as instead of rain, like R-E-I-G-N or however it's spelled, it, it, it was like rain, R-A-I-N, like you are also I rain like overall. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. You but have to read that gospel, man. It's such a good read. I, I do. I do. Yeah. I'm going to, I will get to that this week. Um, but yeah, with the, uh, I actually wanted to get into this a little bit with the, you know, trans movement and gender identification. Part of me feels like the realization that you are not this thing that you have been told that you are, or that you have identified with. So you think that you're, you know, whether you're a man and think you're feel like a woman or a woman and feel like a man or anything else that you may feel like, I feel like that's almost on the path of realizing that you're not this human, but because we live in a society where it's like, these are the only options people give us. You're like, Oh, well, if I'm not this, you know, woman, then I must be a man. And, and it's like, because there is a limit to the options instead of being more broadly understood that you are the universe and you are everything. And just because you're not, you know, I'm not Andrew doesn't mean I'm some other ego identification. It, it means that I am just what is, I'm the awareness of what is. So part of me feels like with that movement, it's like along that path of understanding that you're not just this human meat suit, but you are more than that, but it sort of gets pushed into just like another bucket. Yeah, well, that, that's it, right? It's um, it's interesting. I, I want to make a video at some point, but my wife doesn't want to help me because, of course, it would require me to go and buy a dress, uh, to which you know terrifies her. But at some point, I, I'd like to make a video of me just standing in a dress, you know, full chest hair and all, um, and, and just say very clearly that I am not a man wearing a woman's dress. I am a human being wearing clothing because everything else is conceptual. Everything else is an idea. Right. And that, that's the whole thing is that like we have a women's section and a men's section at the clothing store. That's going to mess with you. Right. Yeah. What's the difference? What is the difference outside of our, our roles and our ideas of what each gender does and, and acts and, 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 and whatnot. And so it's very difficult when, when you don't feel necessarily like you fit the role that society has said is a man or is a woman. And so if you don't fit in that role and you feel like you do fit on the other side of the spectrum that they're saying is the opposite gender, 
unfortunately, as long as you identify, you're going to think, well, shit, then I'm not in the right gender. I was obviously misassigned. I, I'm, I'm supposed to be over there. And it's like, well, you can do all of the things over there. You don't have to identify to do it. Those things aren't for certain people. It's just certain people saying they are, right? Fuck those people. I mean, at the end of the day, because you don't need to listen to that. Like I, 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 I would find it more progressive for somebody who is born a woman to simply continue being who they are and dress the way they want and not change their label. Just to, to just say straight up, I'm not my label. It's, it's irrelevant. I don't need to be a, a trans man. I don't need to be a trans woman. I don't need to be a man or a woman. None of this is relevant at all. The only way it's relevant is biologically, right? The only way it's in any way relevant is when it comes down to birthing children. That's it. That's the only time this argument has any, any validity whatsoever is when we're trying to figure out who has what bits that can create a, a human child, right? Like that, that's all we want to know. But up until that point, I mean, love is love. Humans are humans. People are people. It doesn't matter whether they have, you know, something that's tucked up inside or hanging down. It doesn't matter what the biology is. It doesn't matter what the skin color is. It doesn't matter what the identity is. All of that is conceptual division. That's a matter of, of habit and convenience, right? So if we can get past that, I think that we will find people fe feeling a lot more free to just be who they are without necessarily having to switch their idea of who they are. Right, just so other people can feel comfortable that they have an idea of who they are, because that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? We don't want to let go of our idea of who, are, of who we are, because we live in a culture that thrives on ideas. Yeah, I mean, it's all just perceptions at the end of the day, and anything like you mentioned outside of, you know, birthing is, but it's become so much more in our society. It's like there's an infinite amount of labels in that way and it's it's just wild that it was it's like a relatively recent thing that's been accepted another you know we can get into religions take in that and uh participation and, and reason for that and those beliefs but it was all based off of this their perceptions and ideas and it's another reason why religion's pretty fucked up is because they a lot of them perpetuate that idea of it not being okay whatever you know however you feel or whatever way that you act or way that you identify or don't identify or who you love like it's all everything just is like we're just here living on earth like just being humans and outside of that there aren't needs for these labels and yet they drive our society and and we're finally i think breaking through some of them more recently but it's crazy how long that they have survived all of those judgments and perceptions of people being a little bit different yeah well and i mean as, as a species we go through cycles right like we we have had numerous renaissances you know like there was um there was ancient ancient greece which was like before socrates which was you know 
not, not uh, the, the Greece that we envision when we're thinking about Socrates and Plato and all that. It was a totally different thing. They were very warlike. It was very tribal. And then later on, Greece had a renaissance and all of a sudden they did have Socrates and philosophy and mathematics and all this other stuff, right? And then went into the Dark Ages after that. And then we had another renaissance after that where we started going into sculpting and inventing and mathematics and philosophy and everything else again. And so I, I think that we're just coming back out of another dark period of our human history, World War One and World War II and everything that's happened over the last you know, 300 years, just because you know, of, again, the mentality that dominated European culture, particularly um, in terms of colonization and, and expanding and, and, and you know, world building, as it were. Um, but now we're coming to this point where all the consequences are piling up. All of the consequences of how we view ourselves and how we divide ourselves and how, how we govern ourselves according to those things are, are piling up and it's creating a need to wake up. It's kind of like you know, uh, being asleep while your room fills with water, right? Eventually you're gonna wanna wake up and catch a breath and go, what the hell is happening? That's where we're at. I mean, I live in British Columbia. I don't know if you've been watching the news, but uh, British Columbia had pretty much, it was just on fire all summer and now it's underwater. There's been mass evacuations. They're, they're, they're literally half the province is basically underwater. Almost all the highways have been washed out. The, the, the railroad tracks have been uh, taken out of commission. There's like, we're, we're shipping um, food and stuff around the province on boats. That, that's where we are right now. Right. And it, it's so very interesting because we don't want to just deal with why that's happening. We just want to make it go away. <laughs> right? I think we just want to, it's like, no, no, no. Well, you know, that, that's happening because the weather's changing. It's like, well, why is the weather changing? Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about why all of a sudden in one of the nicest areas of the world, we're not getting the cool down effect that we did over the summer or, or that we normally do over the summer. It's because we're cutting down all the trees, right? Or let's talk about why everything's flooding in the area that it is. Oh, it's because a hundred years ago, we came in and drained a lake that was there and moved all of the indigenous people off that land so we could farm there. And now all of the place that we're farming is underwater again. And a, and a chief from the native tribe that used to inhabit that area actually said, well, yeah, there was a lake there. It came back, <laughs> right? Like, but, but we ignore what's happening in the world because we have very fixated, a very fixated idea of what we want to happen and how it's going to happen. And so we get overly committed to control, right? And it's just about, no, we're going to put a road here. It's like, well, you know, the mountain's moving. Doesn't matter. We'll just shave the mountain off, right? And, and so after enough time, of doing that, now we have uh, farmland that's not growing food very well because we just continue to till it over and over and over again, right? We have forests that aren't creating the same amount of oxygen or, or, or contributing to the same amount of rainfall. We have all of these consequences that are piling up because we haven't been willing to, to adapt and we haven't been willing to look at it. We've been too absorbed in the status quo. And it's so bad now that the governments are again, paying people to destroy food on their farms. They're paying people to destroy food, just like they did in the depression. And it's to raise the price of the food to keep the economy afloat. So this is how far removed we are from reality. I mean, in the Great Depression, they were literally burying crops while people starved so they could maintain the price in the economy. This is how absorbed we are with this game to the point where we're not even thinking in terms of reality anymore. We're not thinking like, 
oh, there's food, there's people hungry, we should probably feed those people. We're thinking, well, yeah, we got to make sure we get the right dollar amount for that food. It's like, why? Why? Why do we need to do that? Right? It's just like, you know, in the Depression, they were shutting down factories that, that could make useful things, because they couldn't pay the people to go and work. It's like, I'm sure if you asked those people, they would say, I don't mind working, these are useful things. Right? But that's not how we operate. We operate on this fictional story. And we are so committed to it that no matter how badly it creates life for us, no matter how, how much it contributes to our general unhappiness, we just don't know how to get off the train. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I don't have a TV, so I don't, I'm not able to follow everything super closely, but I do come across things like that here and there. But with, I didn't know that about burying the crops. Like what was the re was the reason to, you know, this idea of the economy staying alive, like that was just deemed more important than anything. Absolutely. Like what, what would have had, let's say for a second that they didn't bury crops and the, the prices dropped. And but that's not what happened, right? Like you think about it, what happened was inflation. All of a sudden the dollars were worth nothing. Right. And so they had to adjust the value of the crops. They had to adjust the value of the dollar. Right. And so there was all kinds of stuff that were happening in order for them to do that. Right. So they had to, to to basically create it so that way crops were worth more money. So that way people could pay money that was worth less for them to continue to keep the economy going. And so they were burying crops because supply and demand. Right. If there's less supply, the price goes up. And so they could charge more worthless money for the food rather than paying people or rather than feeding people. Damn. Yeah. That sort of reminds me of that video I sent you about uh, Hillary Clinton talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and how she was like going on a rant about how it could undermine society and blah, 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 and be so horrible, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of the point. <laughs> like, that's why it's happening. Like, that's why people are getting behind it because everything's fucked. And although you have, you know, built your livelihood off of this fucked system like of course you're going to rant about how horrible it is if that goes away but it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing for it to go away exactly yeah it, it's bad for people who benefit from the current power structure right like that that that's really it and so i mean that's always a good indication is if if you want to know if something's good or bad for humanity just look at the the effect it has is though at those in power right if they're not happy with it typically it's probably a good thing yeah definitely yeah i always find that so interesting and just when it comes to i know we've talked about cryptocurrency in the past but when it comes to that when you see people and like politicians on the news getting all heated about it and bringing up all the things about the energy, which we've discussed in the past, and they never mention anything about the current system and all the energy that that uses. And they're just bringing up all this shit to try and, you know, but they're not like, they, they still think they have some power in it. And who knows, like it is a very bolsterous and powerful system. So at the end of the day, you never know what it might be capable of, but I feel like with this sort of, monetary and, and value based revolution that I think it's hopefully too big at this point for them to squash 
And I think they're realizing that and that's why they're coming out and being like, oh, energy this and it's going to ruin the system that and doing whatever they can to try and, you know, say how horrible it is. And but that just reinforces people's vigor when it comes to it. They're like, yeah, it is. And fuck you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, it has too much momentum now. It's not it's not going anywhere. It, it's just going to evolve from here on in. And the question is, is how is it going to affect the world economies, right? Like what Hillary Clinton was talking about in that clip was the fact that Bitcoin is threatening to unbalance uh, the power structure that's been keeping things the way they are since the 1950s, which is the US dollar being the world reserve currency, right? The US dollar is the currency that most of the world uses as a form of exchange. And so what I mean is that um, if Germany wanted to buy something from say Australia, they would typically convert German dollars to US dollars and then buy it from Australia, right? So US dollars are typically the world reserve currency. It's what everybody holds on onto in terms of, of value. It's, it's what most countries invest in, in terms of long-term bonds and so on and so forth. And so because of that, the United States has had its, its role as the leader of the world for the last 70 years. And it's largely because they're the world reserve currency. Everybody uses their money. And so everybody kind of kowtows to them as a result of that. Well, all of a sudden Bitcoin's coming in and it's threatening that entire structure. You have countries in South America that are actually starting to supplement their economy by holding Bitcoin instead of US dollars, right? Like that's, that's awesome. And then on top of that, you have uh, China and Russia, which have been developing their own um, uh, cross-country basically a currency so that way they can they can trade with one another without using us dollars and so the us economy is in some serious shit when it comes down to the structure that it's used to being shaken which is awesome i think that's really really good because at the end of the day the monetary system is by far one of the biggest contributors to this this horrendous machine continuing it's just because you know, we don't see how we can get out of it, out of this without money, which is so funny because money is just a fictitious thing, right? And so if we can get to a point where, and I think that this is going to happen as a result of not just these conversations, but uh, climate change, um, governmental shutdown, you know, increasingly corrupt governments, things like that, that we're going to have communities coming together, realizing that they can't necessarily rely on shipments from South America for bananas or shipments from, you know, halfway across the world for watermelon anymore that they have to start being more self-sustainable start growing their own food again start finding a way to power their own community start finding a way to be self-sustainable and i think that as more communities do that that's where that new form of government is going to come from where it's local and everybody works together like the idea of having a cross-country power grid you know it doesn't make much sense when it's one company or it's, it's organized by one structure. But if you had a bunch of communities working together to maintain the power grid, that'd be a totally different thing, right? Where each community is responsible for their part. And then there's just more power being put out in, into the world that, that than anybody can use as a result of each community being self-sustainable. So that way you wouldn't have problems like they had down in Texas in the summer where all of a sudden it snowed and everybody was screwed, right? And it's because there was one power company and every other community was hooked up to it, right? Like, why not have community-based power? It's not like we can't, right? But again, how much power do we need? And that comes back down to our overindulgence in, in certain technologies that, that we feel entitled to rather than actually need. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we talk about that sort of perception and identification quite a bit. And yeah, I mean, 
I guess you never know when that shift will begin and maybe it's begun or it's always happening sort of to some degree. It's just the weight of it and whether or not there's, you know, it gets to that tipping point. And I think there's sort of both sides. There's a side that we're on having conversations like this. And then the other side of, of that system, just kind of getting stronger, but also weaker at the same time. And the more conversations that are happening, the weaker that it gets, but the stronger it tries to be. And because it's getting, wants to be stronger, it's actually getting weaker and standing on less stabilities. And now you have, you know, politicians talking about how energy inefficient, you know, cryptocurrency is, is just like a last sort of straw to try and hold on to this idea when it's not actually going to stop or change anything. But yeah, we'll, uh, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. That's it. It's uh, it's an interesting time to be alive. That that is definitely how I feel about it. It's it's, it's such an interesting period of uh, of our growth as a species or or, or our uh, experience as, as an awareness. There is so much changing, and there's no way to know which direction this is going to go. And this is why I always find it funny that we try to <laughs> like the UN will get together and the, we have plans to to 2050. It's like, do you? Because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Like it's just that's so interesting that you have plans up until 2050 because those plans are based on the mentality you're in right now. And I'm hoping by 2050 we're not in this mentality, right? Like I'm hoping that we see different solutions. But we always commit to this idea, like you know, whatever solution we have and the mentality we're in is obviously going to work because you know every other solution we've come up with in this mentality has obviously worked so well. That's why we have so many problems, right? And say, okay, so let's focus on getting a different state of mind. You know, you can't solve a problem from the same, same state of consciousness that created it. Let's make that a societal priority, right? Let's change our state of consciousness. Let's stay, change our state of awareness. But that means that we actually have to have the uncomfortable uh, process of jettisoning everything that didn't work. And a big portion of that is not just the, the monetary system, there's the education system, because that needs to go. Um, there's the private penal system that needs to go. There's religion that needs to go. Like there, there's this idea of global government that needs to go. All of these things need to be evolved past. We have to come back and we have to come to a point in our individual lives where we are both aware and responsible. And then when we do that, that's what we're going to embody. That's what we're going to create. But right now, we have a structure that's based on us filling a role that we are not responsible for and have no awareness of. We just fill that role until we die. And then we wonder why we've built a system that's just fulfilling a role until it dies. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we were talking about last time. It doesn't matter what system you plug into this mentality. If you keep the same mentality and, you know, you make plans for, 20, 30 years down the road in a certain mentality to fix all the problems that were created by the mentality that you're in, what's going to change? It's going to be the same thing happening over and over and over and over. But I guess if you're caught up in it and all the people who are making all those plans are benefiting from the mentality, then you know they'll just keep trying to make people feel like they're doing something to the point that it satisfies the 
people who don't think they're doing enough, but it, it doesn't actually necessarily change anything and just perpetuates the cycle. Like with that idea of uh, sucking out all the water from the lake and farming it, and then all of a sudden it gets filled back up and no one realizes that it used to be a lake. It's like, no shit, it's going to fill back up at some point. Like if it's in that sort of level of sea sea level, like the earth is going to overpower our idea of what we can control every single time, hundred percent of the time. Like we talked about if all the humans died, the, the earth would overgrow all of our cities very, very quickly. And you see that sometimes in certain parts of city, like I see it in parts of New York that just aren't kept up as well. And it might be only a year that someone doesn't come and like trim the hedges. And all of a sudden it's like, there's a fence that's completely overgrown with, with, uh, growth and, and weeds and all of that. And it's like, it, it will happen inevitably. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it doesn't matter how much we want to deny it. It doesn't matter. It, it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, the party's dying. Let's just accept that the party is over, but there's still people who are like, no, let's keep it going. It's like, you know, like there's a turd in the punch bowl. Let's just quit. <laughs> let's just stop here. Right. Um, but again, that's, that's going to have to happen collectively. And I think it's going to happen as a result of, of, of this and, and, and necessity which is, is something I'm, I'm very curious to see how that plays, it plays out before we wrap up today, because um, I've received a lot of questions and comments over the last week, uh, just from people who've been listening to the podcast and people who've been watching our, our clips on, on social media. And I love the fact that I'm getting so many messages with just, just great questions and, and the genuine intention to grow which is what I, I, I really enjoy about this. And so I, I just wanted to mention quickly before we get into this topic that uh, December 1st and December 8th, Andrew and I will actually be doing a free live group, set, group chat over Zoom. Um, the registration is on our website at dualisticunity.com. You'll find it in the menu. And in, registration is completely free. You can sign up for the first or the eighth. You do have to register separately for both days. Uh, and you can, we can fit up to 100 people. And then we're just going to chat with everybody for about an hour and answer as many questions as we can uh, on both days. So if you're free, definitely register at our website. We would love to chat with you and answer your questions if you have any. But uh, back to what I was talking about previously, I somebody was asking me about relationships and specifically they were asking if we have any advice regarding relationships. And, and I, I think they're talking about romantic relationships more than anything else, but admittedly, there isn't a great deal of difference between friendships and romantic relationships, except of course, how those relationships turn out in the long run, but um, there's the same dangers and the same um, strategies that are involved in both in, in both types of relationships. So I figured we could just cover cover that quickly. But if you were going to give somebody advice getting into a relationship or even looking for a relationship, what would that advice be? Uh, man, uh, this has always been a topic that I sort of stay out of. I don't know. I just. I feel like everyone has an idea of what romantic relationships are. And I feel like people think that romantic relationships and friendships are significantly different in our society and everyone has an idea of it. And I feel like in my life, I don't know if I feel like I don't want to downplay people who are looking for a romantic relationship, but I think there's a degree of 
questioning you need if you're looking for a romantic relationship. And if you're looking for it, like, what are you hoping to achieve from getting one? Like, are you, is there a lack inside of you that you're hoping to fulfill through that relationship? And if that is the case, then you need to work on that lack on your own before you come across a romantic relationship. And, and I think, I don't know, it kind of ties into the idea of enlightenment or this, this path that you're on and this thing that you're seeking. Like the only thing you have to realize if you're seeking enlightenment is to stop seeking. Like if you're seeking a relationship, my best advice might be to stop seeking and just be you and, you know, do things you enjoy, live your life, be here now. And things have a way of playing themselves out. And I think there are people when I talk about that, because that'll sort of be my advice most of the time when people say it, um, that, you know, oh, it's not that easy for everyone. Like some people have to, you know, look and they don't just have like come across people randomly. And but I really do think that if you are looking for a romantic relationship, there's typically a reason and you're hoping to to get something out of that. And I think it's really important to question why you feel like you need a romantic relationship and what lack are you feeling that you feel like you need it? So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, but on the other hand, I also know that when you are very much committed to your idea of yourself and, and especially to the idea that your value can be measured, um, you'll often need validation from people outside of you. And so there, there really is a, a certain degree of, of toxicity that comes simply from you focusing on yourself, which means the needs that you perceive yourself to have, right? If you perceive yourself to need a partner, that perception is what's making your relationships toxic, more or less, right? Like, uh, and I know this from plenty of people I've dealt with in coaching situations who have both went back to the toxic relationships and some who have moved on and actually you know, managed to, to find some degree of happiness and peace within themselves. I, I've heard this expression that the heart has needs that the head doesn't understand. And while that's lovely poetically, unfortunately, the heart's needs are based on your perception of yourself and your relationship with the world, right? So your emotional spectrum is going to change based on how much of a division you perceive, how much of a lack that you perceive based on that division. And so it's like the expression that a heart that's full in itself is very hard to break. It's the heart that's not full in itself that's fragile because it, it's requiring somebody else to fill it up. And if they don't, it cracks and it breaks. And so as long as you are feeling heartbroken, as long as you are feeling you're just buried by, by this, this sense that you're not good enough without that person's love, without that person's attention or without another person to validate you, that's the problem that's going to make every relationship fall apart because there is a certain degree of pressure that you're going to unwittingly put on the other person because of your need, because of your lack. And that person, if you're lucky and they're not the kind of person who wants to be needed, because that's often what happens when we're needy, we end up attracting the people who are looking for that. And then we end up getting taken advantage of as a result of our need. 
and us blinding ourselves to the kind of person they are because they they happen to appear like they 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 fulfill those needs right if you're not lucky enough to find a person who isn't like that then it's going to be very rough for you but if you can find a person who isn't like that then you can get into a relationship with them if they recognize that you're working through your need it's not that you have to be completely free of your need to get into a relationship, but you have to recognize it. You have to just come to terms with it because when you're arguing with your partner, if you are in a relationship and suddenly you're like, you know, well, they're not living up to what I want them to do. That's you. That's you doing that. You need to look at that and, and look at why you have those expectations and what you're trying to fulfill within yourself. And in that moment, you'll have an insight about what it is you're doing and why, or about the person you're with and the fact that they're not where you're supposed to be or who you're supposed to be with. But you always have to be in that state of mind where you're aware that you're trying to fulfill yourself through someone else. Because as long as you're doing that, it will always be in danger. It will always be something that you're afraid of losing or that you need. And, and that's that's never as enjoyable as it, as it appears conceptually. Because in any relationship you've ever been in, if you need that person to pay attention to you and love you, you're never at peace. You're never truly happy, right? Unless they're fulfilling your, your, your expectations, which is again, putting pressure on them. How long are they gonna do that before they start resenting you, whether they realize it or not, right? And so there's a lot that goes into relationships. And, and the biggest thing is remembering that the relationship with yourself has to be primary. If, if you are not happy with who you are, not even happy, if you are just, not yet ready to come to terms with the fact that you are who you are, you don't have to be anything else, then avoid getting into relationships where you feel like you have to be something else because it's gonna make it harder for you to find that person, right? But, you know, and I say this and I understand that, right, but if I do that, then I'll meet somebody. And unfortunately, it's just like manifestation. You can't let go of something to get that thing. You're just lying to yourself again. So you actually have to be in a state of mind where you're okay by yourself. And then you more than likely will meet somebody. And what's nice is that if you don't, or for as long as you don't, you won't care because you love yourself. That's the whole point. And then when you do meet somebody who's able to appreciate your company, they will see you for who you are rather than who you need them to see you as. And that's a relationship, that's real. Yeah, it's like when people say, you know, they're not who I thought they were, or like, you're not who I thought you were. It's like, I'm not even who I think I am. You know, it's like that, that thought is just a perception. That's not who I am. Like, I'm not whatever thought you have about me, whether you seemingly, if I agree that you're right or you're wrong, it's still just a perception. And I remember when, uh, one of the first times I was, uh, took a higher dose of mushrooms and was walking around New York. Uh, I walked past, it was funny listening to conversations as I was walking. And I think I might've mentioned this on a previous episode, but I, I heard this girl having a conversation with a friend. They were walking along this uh, pretty crowded path. And she was saying how she was uh, talking about her, maybe it was a previous relationship. And she said, I was the perfect girlfriend. And I remember walking past and like laughing out loud. And I think I was far enough away. That they didn't know that I was laughing about them. I was just like laughing to myself. And I was like, you saying that you think you're the perfect girlfriend is 
a perception of yourself that they're, that you're viewing about yourself that you think they should think that you're also the perfect girlfriend. It's so far removed from the truth that it's, it's like mind blowing that you would even say something like that, like that you think like to have the audacity of saying that you were the perfect girlfriend. And also that is completely subjective. There is no objective, perfect anywhere or anything like, so how would you possibly know what is perfect for someone else through your perception? It's impossible. So sure. If you want to date yourself and, and take yourself on dates and be the perfect girlfriend for yourself, then like, I guess that might be a little bit more fitting, but to think that you're the perfect thing for someone else is absolute absurdity. Right. But it implies that they're the problem, not me. Yeah. Right. They just couldn't appreciate my awesomeness. Right? And, and sometimes that's true. But typically, if you're if, if you are awesome, you're not the kind of person who's going to say you're perfect for someone else because you're yeah. too busy being awesome for you. Right. So, yeah, no, it, it, it's really interesting. And uh, it's interesting, the idea of perfection. We actually haven't gotten into this. And, and I don't, I've spent a lot of time thinking about perfection because it's something that a lot of us try to, to strive towards. But it's such a backwards concept. Right. Because let's just say that there was, in fact, a perfect physical appearance. Exactly. It was perfect, symmetrical, beautiful, the whole thing. Right. And everybody aspired to that per perfect appearance. And everybody managed to accomplish that perfect appearance. Now everybody looks the same, right? That doesn't sound very perfect. So now everybody's perfect appearance is gonna be changed slightly because they wanna have their own particular flair of perfection. They wanna change it up a little bit. So they start adding little imperfections. So now all of a sudden we go full circle to the point where everybody's different and that's perfection. And so it's always the, the whole circle again, right? So perfection is, is another concept that means nothing. If you look at it as superficial, it means you know the ideal of perfection. But if you look at it further, imperfection is perfection. Yeah, that is very interesting. How if we got to that point that everyone looked the same all of a sudden, you know, I think Alan Watts has a sentiment along those lines of like dreaming up your perfect life. And if you were living your perfect life and, and eventually you're living it and, it, you know, or you have total control or something, then all of a sudden you would want to start mixing in a little bit less control. And then you go down that rabbit hole and then you go back to that until finally you come back to the exact life that you're living right now. And for, you know, wanting to be perfect. It's like you, if you were able to live eternally and you got to this ideal perfection, all of a sudden you'd start implementing little blemishes until you go back and forth, back and forth until you look exactly like you do right now. And it's always just coming back to the realization of what you are and, and what you are is the here and now. And that's the only thing there is. It's not an idea of what is now. It's not a perception of what is now. It's not a concept of what is now. It is the here and now. And that's, that's it. That's the only thing you ever have to come back to. And it's what you always are, right? Isn't it funny how all of our, our problems are, are very much made worse by our overcommitment to avoiding what we are already, right? And we just want to get an idea about it. And that's what messes us up. We want to get some idea of control and some, some semblance of, of, of sway over it. And that's what messes us up because now we're not 
we're not just drifting down the river, we're fighting the river, right? Now we're not just part of the flow, we're trying to influence to, to cause the flow to go in a way that we prefer through our confusion, because of course, if we have preferences, we're obviously confused. But that's that's the funniest thing about it. We really have to come to terms just to that, like just, just the sensitivity of understanding when we're overcommitted to an illusion, when we're confusing ourselves because we're, we're overly caught up in this idea of I, right? If we can do that, then all of our relationships, our government, the way we run our communities, everything we've talked about in this, in this episode here changes radically, but it starts with us. Yeah, majority of our problems stem from our idea of ourself. Once, if you are able to peel that back and, and get away from that and, and realize that you are the here and now there is those problems, a lot of them, at least majority of them, if not all of them kind of begin to fall by the wayside. Yeah. It's funny, right? We, we try and come up with so many complicated answers to how to fix the world, but we have to address the common root, which is us. We are the common root. And it's just like, you know, it's like who created God? Well, we did, right? It's like who created the problems in the world? Or we are, we're doing it, right? And so if, if we can't recognize how we're doing it, how are we going to fix it, right? And so the first thing is always before a relationship, before you do anything is to get some semblance of clarity in yourself, right? It's, um, what was that? It was a quote by Tool. If you have no desire to heal, the damage is broken that alone, right? So that's the point, right? It's just focus on why you're not healing. Focus on what you're holding on to that's causing that toxicity. Get out of your own way, find that clarity, and then you'll experience sensitivity and empathy and self-love and all of these things that we have concepts for, but are really just pointing at the reality of who you are when you accept who you are. So yeah, as always, the one-step process, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So before we wrap up, I just wanted to do a quick announcement here. Um, I've already mentioned the live group shows that we're doing on the 1st and the 8th. Um, on In December, almost towards the end of December, I think it's going to be episode 13, uh, Andrew and I are actually going to do an entire uh, podca podcast episode based on the questions asked by our listeners and our viewers. So if you have questions that you would like us to address specifically in that podcast, please leave them in the comments section below our videos here on YouTube or uh, comment on our social media channels, or you can join us on Patreon. Of course, our, our Patreon supporters do get priority voting rights over what we're going to be um, answering on that day, but we're gonna try and get to everybody's questions as best we can. So definitely leave your, your questions below and let us know what you'd like us to chat about. Looking forward to that. I've done that on my own podcast before, and I do Q and A's frequently on my Instagram story, and always enjoy them. Uh, enjoy the questions, so I'm looking forward to that episode quite a bit. That's awesome. Well, this has been episode nine. Um, we're going into double digits next week, so that's exciting. And uh, we just passed 100 subscribers on YouTube, so I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who's been following us there, and uh, we look forward to the next episode. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye, everyone.